This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Wyvon Hutchinson to the show. Wyvon will talk about conversations she's had on difficult topics like race and how to turn action into progress. Wyvon, I am really excited to get into a conversation with you. Thank you for being with me. I'm so excited too. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. So I'm I'm gonna spoiler alert. We're gonna go right to the book. And you know, you open the book and the first story that you talk about is your very first job at a famous theme park and that experience. So if you would be so kind, I'm going to pass the baton, take, take our listeners through that to whet their appetite and help us know where this all started. Okay. So I'll try to be succinct. You'll find, I like to tell a story. Okay, First job (laughs) um, was at a theme park in North Texas, which is where I'm from. Um, and I remember, you know, I, I I got that job because my mom said I wanted to take a trip. And my mom said, well, you got to save up for the trip. We don't have a lot of money. You've got to pay for it yourself. I said, okay. So I go in and I remember there's like a job fair, right? Because they're seasonal. So things are park. They hire everybody in the summer. So I go into the job fair. Super excited. You know, you, you got to picture me. I'm, a, I'm kind of a dork. I'm an honor roll student. I'm really, really friendly and gregarious. I was in theater, so I just thought, you know, I was, I was so ready to, like, be a costume character or something. And, um, you know, I'm also a super friendly person. So I go through the process. There's, like, a written test, an interview. I think I'm, like, I ace the written test, right? Like, I just, like, flew through it. I was, like, easy peasy, live and squeezy. And then, you know, I meet people. I'm really trying to be engaging. And, um, and so at the end of that day... I remember they handed out the assignments for jobs that people got. And I, and you know, there was a hierarchy, you know, a theme park hierarchy, if you will. But, you know, people in costume were kind of like closer to the top. You had the ticket takers, the people who could like sit in air conditioned spots and sit in the seats. Then you had the food service people. And then you had what was called park services. And they were essentially the people who cleaned up everything, right? Like the janitorial staff. And that was not that that's anything wrong with that kind of work, but it was on the bottom of the hierarchy because it was so grueling, right? You know, it's always the people who work hardest who are on the bottom. It was so grueling. And uh, you were in the, in the sun all day and you were on your feet. You could not sit down in this job. If you weren't cleaning, you had to be standing and just sweeping. They gave you, everybody had a broom and a pan and you just always slept. So I remember being ready to be, you know, Maybe not the top, you know, maybe you had to earn way there, but I was like, I could be a ticket taker. I'll be awesome. I'll get to talk to people all day. And then, you know, they gave me park services. And I remember thinking, wow, that's strange. And I remember going to orientation, first day of work, and I remember seeing how, which demographics got into which job, right? And the people, I'm Black, the people in park services, all Black and Brown, Black and Latino, all of them. And the people who were taking tickets, who were in costume, were white. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, at the time I was like, maybe this is a coincidence. And I say in my book, it could have been something, it could have been nothing, you know, and that was my first experience with race. And it's always, it, all, it, it always starts like that, right? It's some, is it something or is it nothing? Is it all in my head or am I, and what I see, and what I seeing is, is that real? Um, and so that was my first job. And I, Look, I earned that dollar. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, and I earned that trip. You know, but it, it was it was a it was it was a hard lesson. 
Thank you for literally setting the stage there. And I want to tell our global audience, your, your book title is so compelling, How to Talk to Your Boss About Race, Speaking Up Without Getting Shut Down. And I, I want to segue into what you write so brilliantly about in the book called uh, describing social identity and why it's important yeah. for people to understand this. So again, you know, stemming from this incredible first experience, uh, not incredible, I don't mean that in a positive way, sort of this... Uh, scary experience uh, at the theme park, right? Tell me about social identity and why it's important for us to understand this in relation to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, all of those important things. Yeah. I mean, part of this was my personal journey. You know, I talk about in the book how I had to come to terms with my Blackness Mm -hmm. and how that affected the way that people perceived me and how those perceptions could affect my outcomes, right? How I was treated. Um, I think for anyone who is involved in the work of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, justice, I say this as a former lawyer, um, understanding our own identities and how that impacts how we experience the world, uh, what we see, what we don't see, how people treat us, and the sort of breadth and depth of our own vision is really important because that affects our ability to advocate on behalf of others and ourselves. Uh, for the listeners who are not familiar with the term, social identity basically uh, refers to those identities, both inherent and selected. So at, at, at my company, Ready Set, which is a consulting firm, we talk a lot about inherent identities, those identities that we're born with, but social identities can be both. And they're sort of the identities that are determined by affiliations to a particular group or class, right? So, you know, thinking about your race, your gender, your socioeconomic status, um, the languages that you may speak, your ethnicity, your religion, um, where you're situated in an organization, um, at what level you currently are, what department you're in, what kind of company you're in. Um, and what kind of class, prestige, or power that affords you. These are all aspects of your social identity. Um, and, 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 and like I said before, I really try to emphasize, because I find a lot in these conversations, people, uh, they, they talk a lot about the, they, they conflate both the inherent and the selected identities and um, look at both as a source of marginalization. And a a lot of times it's the inherent social identity. So I talk about inherent social identity as well. Those are the social identities we can't change and quite often can be sources of marginalization for us. So, you know, I'm a woman, could be that. Um, I'm black, could be that. I'm a black woman, it could be that intersectional marginalization as well. So hopefully that that helps uh, listeners define the term for themselves. It, it does. And Wyvon, what I what I love about your book, one of the many things, is that you you make it personal and you get vulnerable and you yeah. bring us into your your world. It's almost part memoir. And I thank you for that because there's a lot of activity right now in the DEI space. And and you speak from a personal lens, which, which is incredibly relatable. And you talk about a spectrum of allies. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 I think you know there there, there are two bits of that question. I want to, I want to answer both of them. Um, for me, the personal in this work is huge, right? Because this is, you know, I find that conversations I have are least productive when I come in as an expert outsider and I can't share my own journey or my own growth. And 
um, I can't share my own flaws, right? Uh, I, I, I had to get to this point, right? And, and the, the, the journey of inclusion, the journey of equity, the journey of justice is just as much our own journey as it is a journey of an organization that we're around. And so I always encourage people to approach these conversations with growth, with humility. And I know we're going to get into the tactical in just a second, but for me, that's just such an integral part of it, right? Nobody wants to hear from a know-it-all on this. And I'll be real with you. No one is a know-it-all right. on this, right? We're all still learning. So, so that's why I thought it was so important to share my story. And I think as a black woman, you know, quite often we are expected to sort of share our pain for other people's progress. But in this case, I felt it was really important too. You know, I wrote the book during a pandemic. I wrote the book with a newborn, working mothers out there. I know you understand it while running a company. I lost my sister while writing the book. My father was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma while I was writing the book. I was bedridden because um, I had a, some pregnancy complications while I was writing the book. So, so all of this is—it's not a pity me, but but you know, there's some texture there. There's a journey there, and when we're doing this work, we don't do it in a vacuum. And more and more, when it feels like life is kind of unstable and predictable. And we're just drawing on the depths of our resources. I think it's so important to honor that journey. You use that that word at the beginning of our call. I think it's so important to honor that because only in doing so can we hope to approach it from a sustainable, honest way. So, so that that's to that part of the question. Now, to the part of the spectrum of allies. You know, I wrote this book to be really tactical, strategic, almost because. When we think about the work of organizational and culture change, it is work that is inherently strategic, right? It's not something that we're just born knowing how to do, and it's not something that we can all do on our own, right? I talk a lot about the importance of the collective in doing organizational change work. Like we don't want to be the only person out there for a lot of reasons. So I, you know, part of that is finding out who your allies are. So finally getting to your question. Um, when we think about allies in change work, I think there's always a temptation to think of it as a binary. People are, people are either your ally or they're not. They're either for you or against you. And it's actually much more nuanced. There's a lot of folks in the middle, right? So you'll have people who are strongly uh, supportive of you and people who strongly oppose you. But the majority of people who are in the are in the middle. And it's not about getting the people who strongly oppose you to strongly support you. That's really, really hard to do. It's about moving everyone one degree over closer to your cause, right? So moving the people who strongly oppose you to kind of passively opposing you, moving the people who passively oppose you, kind of being neutral, moving those neutral people into passive support and moving people who passively support you into really actively supporting you. Talk about how to do that. I love that because it's, it's a continuum and, and there's opportunity yeah. for growth. That is, that is fantastic. Yeah. So on that note, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. 
send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So, Wybon, again, I love the title of your book, How to Talk to Your Boss About Race, Speaking Up Without Getting Shut Down. So let's let's go tactical, as you mentioned right before the break. Okay. So I know there are people listening out there saying, okay, my boss is problematic. How in the world do you start this conversation, <laughs> right? That is a tough, tough thing. So have at it. What are your thoughts there? I, I, you know what they say about preparation. I, um, I think like it's, what is it? 10% of perspiration, 90% preparation. Right, I, right. I mangled that saying, but I think a lot of it, especially with conversations like this is in the preparation part. You know, I talk in my book about my own experiences slash failures, trying to talk to my bosses about race. And, you know, some of those are avoidable. Some of them aren't. I talk about that too. But, you know, generally what I advise people, prepare, prepare, prepare. So first of all, uh, we talk about understanding the self, understanding your social identity. I talk about social location. So understanding where you are in a particular organization and how that affects your ability to advocate. And then understanding your own power. So, so understanding what can you leverage as you're trying to push this forward. And everybody has their own power. I'm not going to go deep into my power spiel here, but I encourage you to read the book to really sort of reframe how you think about power, particularly when it comes to the power of influence. So, so, so that's part of it. The second part that we just alluded to is all about finding allies and building your bench in a sense, right? Chances are, if you're really passionate about this work, there's somebody else in your office who's doing it too. You know, and whether you're an ally or a black and black or brown person, non-white person advocating on behalf of yourself, you know, there's probably somebody else who either shares your values or is engaged in doing some of the same work themselves. Right. So find that person because there's strength in numbers. I talk about this a lot. You know, it's really easy to single one person out, to dismiss one person, to gaslight one person. It's much harder to do that to a group. And, you know, one person, we only have so many resources, so many insights, so many perspectives. We get so much more working in community. We can learn so much more from other people. So find your community and then set, set the stage, prepare, prepare uh, for that conversation appropriately. So understand your case for DEI. Why are you having this conversation? Why is it important to the business? What has been the impact of the current practices? What are other people doing? Do all of that research, right? Also understand what is in your boss's power to do in this conversation. You know, I am both a CEO and an advisor of companies. And so I see this from a lot of different angles. But, you know, where it is toughest, particularly as a manager, is where somebody comes to you with unrealistic expectations and you can't do anything, right? So I think it, 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 it helps you and it helps your boss. It helps set this conversation up success to really have a realistic idea of what is it in your boss's power to do and how can they get started on, on that. Um, I, I think also talking about the, the, the business, being able to talk about some possibilities for the organization is really important. And finally, having a very clear objective in your head for what you want to walk out of the conversation with, right? So like, understanding like this is what I want to achieve in the conversation with my boss. I know this is within their power because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. Here's what I will feel good walking away with it from setting. And sorry, (laughs) I just say one more thing and make sure you have enough time to actually have this conversation. This is not like a kind of like quick, 
quick and dirty conversation. You really want to hold space because it would take a while. I actually love listening to your lawyer brain unpack that, right? Because you you <laughs> you you outlined what some may recognize uh, as the um, the process of negotiation, right? You you have yeah. to have clarity. Yeah. So I I love that because it, it made it very practical. And thank you. Yes, please plan for this. This is not a conversation on a whim. Yeah, and I talk a lot about the sort of. I think more even than like any kind of um, uh, business kind of negotiation strategy or whatever, this, these conversations are so triggering yeah. and so emotional and so taboo and so loaded, regardless of where we come to them from, right? I come to this conversation from, from a place of generational pain, right? From a place of personal, um, being personally affected. Other people come to this conversation having not had to think about race or being told they were bad if they did, right? Not having language to talk about race or racism, being told it's taboo or political. And people come to this conversation really scared, afraid they're going to say the wrong thing, right? And so we're all entering with like just this heightened sort of adrenalized response. And, you know, that's almost the worst place to be. Right. And so if we're going to get ourselves out of flight or flight mode, which we absolutely have to do, I should say add freeze there too. If we're going to get ourselves out of fight, flight or freeze, we have to have to have to prepare. Thank you for being vulnerable and helping people understand how how charged this is. You know what I love and you and I talked about this right before we uh we went on the show. You're really creating this this blueprint for the future of work. And I love that mm-hmm. because it's not DEI and I, I like diversity, equity, and belonging as well as inclusion, not in a silo. You know, it's so interconnected yeah. with what's happening in society, what's happening in the world. And I thank you for that because I think it is all encompassing. And I, it's refreshing to, to read what you've written about it and to hear you speak about it. Yeah. I mean, to me, the organizations that are going to be resilient, future-proofed, the organizations that are going to be around 50 years from now, are the organizations that understand how to take care of their people and are who, and who are equipped to navigate change. Exactly. Right. And when we look at the changes we're seeing, they're all they're all people changes. They're all DEI changes. So or DEIB changes. I also add justice in there sometimes yeah. too, because quite often that can be part of the work there as well. But yeah, absolutely. This is a future. This is a future workplace issue. Wybon Hutchinson, I learned so much from you. I love your book, and I'm so grateful that we had a chance to talk today. I want to tell our global audience, again, remind them of the title and help them understand how they can buy it. It's called How to Talk to Your Boss About Race, Speaking Up Without Getting Shut Down. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers, but I also love that it's an audiobook. So I thank you for that because so many of us enjoy listening to books as well. Waivon, thank you for your amazing work, and I'm grateful to spend time with you today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Take good care. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.